Would you turn in your Bible, please, to Genesis chapter 21? If you're using a pew Bible this morning, that's going to be on page 15. 15. <clears throat> the Scottish preacher George Morrison has said, the Christian life is a land of hills and valleys. Hills and valleys. Ups and downs. Highs and lows. Joys and sorrows. You don't have to live long to know that that's true. You, you have experienced it. I, I have experienced it. And as we've read through and studied through the book of Genesis, we saw it, we have seen it in Abraham's life as well. Already, chapters 12 through 20, we have seen trials come into Abraham's life. We have seen triumphs as a result of those trials, as well as failures as a result of those trials. We have seen and will see great acts of faith and regrettable moments of unbelief. We know that God had made promises to Abraham and to Sarah, to which they both struggled to hold on to. They struggled to believe in. And yet our passage this morning, we will learn that God fulfills his divine promises at his appointed time in his great way for his glorious purposes. And for our time this morning, we will unpack this statement in four, four pieces. The first piece is that God fulfills his divine promises. Look at verse one. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Now, since chapter 12, we have been reading of God's promises to Abraham, specifically to make him a great nation, which necessarily meant that he would have a son in order to continue the family, in order to have offspring and descendants. That was in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. We see more in chapter 13, more in chapter 15, more in chapter 17, more in chapter 18. Over and over again, these promises were re, uh, re retold to, to Abraham. And so now here we read, the Lord visited Sarah and then the Lord did to Sarah. Now, that word Lord is the word Yahweh. This is the covenant name, of, the covenant name of, of God. Yahweh visited Sarah. Yahweh did to Sarah as he had promised. He delivered. He, he did as he said he would. He fulfilled his promise. We, we see these two phrases. As he said and as he had promised. He made good on it. Look at verse 2, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. The promised son was born. What, what God had said, he did. He kept his divine promise. He was true to his word. 
God will be true to his word. He's always been and he always will be true to what he has said he will do. Matthew chapter 5 verse 18 says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota nor a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. What God has set out to do, he will do. God keeps his promises. He kept his promises to Abraham and Sarah and he keeps his promises to us as well. Now, the question might not be if God keeps his promises, but what are God's promises? The danger, there's a real danger of presuming upon God promises to us which he has never given to us. There are those out there who who think their life should be trouble-free, that no harm should befall them, that they should partake in the, the, the quote-unquote American dream as if this were the will of God, as if this was the promise of God. Nowhere in the Bible are we promised an easy life. Nowhere. If you were to read the Bible, just a, a cursory reading of the Bible, you would never conclude that following Jesus meant I get to have all the things that I want and nothing hard will happen in my life. No, what, 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 we'll, what we will find is that suffering follows. Suffering follows the, the follower of Jesus. In fact, Paul wrote to young Timothy and said, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Hardship comes from following Jesus. Jesus' life was not easy. Uh, the apostles' life was not easy. And we look throughout Church history, those who followed Jesus, they suffered. There there are those today who peddle a false teaching that God's will for you is to be happy and to be healthy and to be wealthy. Anathema. That is a false teaching. That is not what the Bible teaches. There's no way you would look at the life of Jesus and conclude that that is what God has for you. They might say that all you need is to have more faith and then you'll be well. Or all you need to do is send a little seed offering in by faith and then then God will give you more money. That is not the teaching of the Bible. Jesus died homeless, broke, and naked. He had few friends and he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Affluence is not the goal of Christianity, nor is it the promise of God in the Bible. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So what we actually would conclude is that the the way of Jesus, the promise of Jesus is one of self-denial, is to give up your rights, is to lay down your life. Now, that might not sound very inviting. Uh, the, the health wealth guy sounds way more inviting, right? Everybody wants that. That's what the human heart wants, understood. It doesn't sound very inviting, but, but as we look through the history of Christianity, there were those who followed Jesus and gave up their life for him. Well, what did they understand? Why didn't they buy the health and wealth? Well, why, why didn't they live their life to, to accumulate, accumulate, accumulate? Why? Because they understood something more. They believed something else about the future. 
They believed suffering now and glory later. They believed in the promise of a future with God. And they believed that greater, that was greater than the comfort of life here and now. And they, they heard the promises of God of the kingdom to come. And they heard the promises of God of a, what was yet to come. They, they wanted to hear the well done, good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your master. They wanted to hear that more than having the joy and the pleasures now. They stored up treasures in heaven where moth and rust could not destroy and where thieves could not break in and steal. Even Abraham himself looked beyond this world. In Hebrews chapter 11, we read this, by faith he, that's Abraham, when he lived in the land of promise as a, a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was looking forward to the, the kingdom that was yet to come. The new heaven and the new earth in which righteousness dwells and God will dwell with man. He wasn't looking for, for what he could get and what could, he could accumulate in the here and the now. We must be careful not to assign promises to God that he never made to us. In the NIV, verse 1 of chapter 21 says, And the Lord was gracious to Sarah. The Lord was gracious to Sarah. Which is a beautiful way to say that God's promises and his fulfillment are all God's grace to us. It was grace that God gave to Abraham and Sarah a son. It is grace that God gives to you and me what he has promised as well. We are not prying anything out of God's hands. Any promise that God has given to us, he's given, to us, he's given it to us by grace. It is availed to us by grace. It is for those who believe, those who trust in him. These are his promises. And he then gives them graciously to us. So what are God's promises that we can claim? Let's just run down a short list of some things that we can consider this morning. What has God promised to us? He has promised salvation to all who would believe. The promise of Scripture is that if you will come to God through Christ, you will be saved. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a promise of God. This morning, as you sit here today, God has promised that whoever comes to him, there's only one way to come, John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father but by me, Jesus says. Promise of God is salvation for all who would believe in Christ. We also see the promise of the forgiveness of sins. God has promised us that in Christ our sins can be forgiven. We can be accepted in the beloved that is in Christ. 1 John 1.9 is such a, a quoted verse in the church, but hear it again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. 
You feel really bad about your sin. You want to beat yourself up about your sin. Confess your sin to God. And upon confession of sin to God, God forgives you. He moves forward. You need to move forward. The forgiveness of sins is a promise of God. Eternal life. Life that starts now and lasts forever. Sometimes when we think about eternal life, we think it's only when we die. No, no, no. Eternal life starts now and it lasts forever. Life with God starts when we trust him. It starts now. It's not a delayed, it's not a delayed promise. It's a promise that begins now and lasts forever. We have the promise of a place in heaven. Jesus says, I go to repair a place for you. A, a place, a literal place. A place prepared for you that when we leave earth, we go to be with him. God is preparing a place. That is a promise of Jesus. We have the promise of peace. Peace I leave with you, John 14, 27. Not as the world gives peace, do I give peace. Now, we have the peace with God, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. How do we have peace with God? Through Jesus. And once we have peace with God through Jesus, we also have the peace of God. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't be anxious about anything. But pray about everything. And what? And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. We have the promise that God will never leave us nor forsake us. This is security, my friend. Uh, assurance is how you feel about God, how you feel about your connection with God. Security is how God sees you. Eternal security tells us that, that God has said, no one can snatch you out of my hand. John 10. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. These are the promises of God to us, not based on us, based on his own character. We have the promise of the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who comforts us, who instructs us, and who convicts us. For the Christian, the Holy Spirit is inhabited, indwelt by the very Spirit of God. We have the promise of abundant life in John chapter 10, verse 10. There's the one who has come to kill and destroy. But why has Jesus come? To give life to the full or abundant life. That's a promise of God. We have the promise of comfort in our trials. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. We have the promise that God will build his church. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. We may look around and think the church is on pretty hard times. But God has a plan. And God is building his church in ways that we might not even see. We have the promise of, of being made a new creation in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. That tells us that, that there's change possible. You may say, I've always been like this. I've always been this way. I had this sin pattern. I can't break the sin pattern. I, I, I'm, I'm, this is who I am. No, it doesn't have to be who you are. There actually can be change. You can change. The Spirit of God in you can change. You can be a new creation today. We have the promise of a glorified body in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That, that one day, when this, this mortal body will put on immortality. That means that this fleshly body, this body that's temporal, will put on an eternal body, a glorified body. That's what we await, what awaits us when Jesus returns. We are promised that all things work together for good. It's a promise of God. 
that God, for those who love God, God causes all things to work together for good. And we've said this before, but that doesn't mean all things are good. It means that God works all things together for good. And the good in the very next verse there in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, tells us that the good is that we might become more like Jesus. So God works all the things, all the things. You may say, does it include this? All the things. Yes. He works all the things together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And God provides for our needs. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. As with any of these verses, it's important to know the context of these verses so we don't misrepresent the promise. But God provides for what we need as he would provide for the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 19. God did for Abraham and does for us give promises and keep his promises, fulfilling them, we find, at his appointed time. Look at the rest of verse 2. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Verse 1, we have God said something, God promised something. Now here in verse 2, he spoke something. What God has said, he will do. And he'll do it when it is the right time. At the time of which God had spoken to him. When God said it was going to happen, it was going to happen. God, God told them, a year from now, I'm going to visit again and, and Sarah will have a son. God's promises will be fulfilled at his appointed time. Not our appointed time. Not, not when we think the promise should be fulfilled. When God says the promise is to be fulfilled. The giver of the promise is in charge of the time of the giving. And the giving will come at the appointed time. Now we'll remember, when God called Abraham in chapter 12, he was 75 years old when he first received the promises. And now here in chapter 21, we read it already in verse five, we learn that Abraham is 100 years old. I didn't go to school for math, but that's 25 years between promise and fulfillment. That feels like a delay to us, doesn't it? That feels like, like God, God delayed the, the fulfillment. The delay is only in our mind. The delay is only delayed because of our timeline, not God's timeline. This is, God didn't delay anything. This was at the appointed time, at the time in which God had spoken. When God was ready, when things were in place, God fulfilled his promise. His plan is perfect and his fulfillment is appointed. Now you might be able to relate a little bit. Maybe there's been times in your life where there's been a promise that's been unfulfilled or it's taken a long time for it to come to fruition. Later in the book of Genesis, we learn about another descendant of Abraham. Actually, Abraham's great-grandson, whose name is Joseph. And quickly, you'll remember that Joseph suffered under the hands of his brothers. He was separated from his family. And between the, the dream that he had early on, is why his brothers didn't like him, or we might say the promise that he had from God early on, to when that actually was fulfilled, took some 17 years. 
17 years between promise and fulfillment. And yet, God was in charge all the way. He did not forsake Joseph. He was with Joseph. He brought about good, the good that he had planned, both in Joseph and for the people of Israel at the appointed time. A trusting in God's promise requires patience. It requires patience. And though Abraham and Sarah stumbled at times, their faith, their faith actually is acknowledged in Hebrews chapter 11. They, they are understood as, as men and women of faith. Word Wearsby writes, trusting God's promise not only gives you a, a blessing at the end, but it will give you a blessing while you are waiting. When God wants to build our patience, he gives us promises, sends us trials, and tells us to trust him. God is working in the waiting. He's working in the trials. James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The goal isn't patience for the sake of patience. The goal is patience for the sake of spiritual maturity which is Christ-likeness. May God give us patience and faith to trust his timing, to fulfill his promises, to answer our prayers, and to provide for our needs. Well, God does fulfill his divine promises at his appointed time, and he does so in his great ways. Look at verses three through five. And Abraham called the name of his son whom, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now, verse 5 here tells us Abraham's age. Back in chapter 17, we learn how old Sarah then would be. That would be she was 90 years old at this time. We also see here in verse 2 and in verse 7, uh, in, the, in the text, the, the term old age, referring to Abraham. What is the, the writer doing here? He's talking about old age. He's talking about Abraham being 100 years old. What is he doing? He's telling us, once again, and stressing that biologically, they were past the age of childbearing. In, in terms of reproducing, their bodies were, is what the New Testament says in Romans 4, Hebrews 11, as good as dead. It wasn't going to happen. No, no more kids. She's, she's past the time. He's not able. It's not going to work. And yet, in God's great way, in God's miraculous way, Sarah conceives and bears a son to Abraham. Just note that that phrase over and over again uh, notes that, that this was God fulfilling his promise to Abraham. We see it that, that he... That um, look at verse uh, 2. She conceived and bore Abraham. Verse 3. Born to him. Verse 3. Sarah bore him. Verse 5. Born to him. Verse 7. Born him. Over and over, there's this sense that the, the promise of God was that Abraham would have a son, it would come through Sarah, and over and over again here, the writer keeps stressing that it was through Sarah to Abraham. The promise was fulfilled. The question 
that we find in chapter 18, verse 14, where God says to Sarah, is there anything too hard for the Lord? When Sarah laughs, is there anything too hard for the Lord? It is answered here unequivocally. No, there is nothing too hard for the Lord. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. A 100-year-old and a 90-year-old just had a baby. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. He who is all-powerful is able to do all things. That includes raising the dead, healing the sick, and even causing these two elderly people to have a baby. God is able. God is able. If it's his will and it's his promise, he is able to fulfill it. God has kept his promise as he said. And as the promise is kept, then Abraham obeys God. Look at it in verse, uh, verse 4. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight years old. That's what the Lord told him to do back in chapter 17. As God had commanded him. He circumcised him and then he named him. Verse 4. And, and uh, yeah, he, he, where, is it? where did he name him? <laughs> I lost my spot, sorry. <clears throat> Verse three. Called his, yes, thank you. Abraham called his name of his son who he was born to him, whom Sarah bore, Isaac. So he named him and then he circumcised him in obedience to God. So God acted and then Abram responded to God by doing what he was told to do. God who makes promises is able, he's more than able to fulfill them by his power. Now unto him, Ephesians 3, verse 20, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think according to the power at work in us. The question is never if he can. It's never if he can. He can. He is able. And if it's his will, and if it's his promise, he will fulfill it. God fulfills his divine promises at his appointed time in his great way, finally, for his glorious purposes. Look at verses 6 and 7. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Now we'll remember that laughter is a notable part of the story of Abraham and Sarah. Back in chapter 17, Abraham laughed to himself when the Lord told him that he and Sarah would have a son. The laughter then was, was half uh, skeptical and, and, and half believing. In the next chapter, the Lord shares again the promise. He does so that, that in order that Sarah could hear this promise. And we find there that she laughs chapter 18. And yet her laughter is understood to be unbelief. And we understand that because she gets rebuked for her laughter. But now here, we see Sarah's laughter has turned from unbelief to joy and to delight. To delight in God. As unto her a child was born and a son was given. God's work through Abraham and Sarah was for God's purposes. And Sarah acknowledges, God had made laughter over me for everyone, verse, verse six, everyone who hears will laugh over me. God's going to get the glory here. People are going to look at this and be like, what in the world? How did that happen? The only way it could happen, miraculously, through the power of God. 
this is the way it works. This is how things are. That God gets the glory. The glory that only he deserves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says that God chose the foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak in the world to shame the strong. He does that so that there'll be no boasting. So, so there'll be no, no way to say, well, look what I have done. Look, look how good I am. No, he does that so that he gets the glory. All things are for his glory. And the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. It's all about God's glory. It's all about, that's the purpose. God fulfills his divine promises as appointed time in his great way for his glorious purpose. His own glory. God had promised Abraham descendants. He had promised him seed and offspring in order that he would be a great nation and be a blessing to the world. God had made a promise. He made another promise back in chapter three and it went like this. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Chapter three, verse 15. This is referred to as the first gospel because it's pointing us to the ultimate fulfillment of this offspring, that being Jesus. Genesis, in part, traces the line of this promised seed. If we want to try to understand the book altogether, in chapter 3, verse 15, starts us on this, this line, this, this line of descendants, this offspring from Adam to Seth to Noah to Abraham, now to Isaac. The, the seed, the promise of this seed was intact and ultimately would be fulfilled later, we know, in Christ's. And here in the person of Isaac and in the, the events surrounding Isaac, we see multiple parallels. James Montgomery Boyce points out seven parallels between Isaac and Jesus. We'll just, just say them quickly. Both Isaac and Jesus were a promised seed and they were a son. Both Isaac and Jesus, they're their, uh, between their promise and their fulfillment was delayed, according to man. Both mothers questioned God, and God's response to both mothers was that he was able. Both of their names had symbolic meaning and were given before their birth. Both of the births were at an appointed time, as we've already seen here in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, tells us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, both of their births required a miracle, and they both involved laughter and joy. We see here with Sarah, and in Luke chapter 1, we see it with Mary, who was rejoicing at the news that she would be the mother of the Messiah. In these, we, in these ways, we see how Isaac points us forward to Christ, to the child who was born, to the son who was given. As Christ who was promised, he came not just to fulfill the promise of his birth. It's not just, that's not the only reason why Jesus came. It wasn't just to fulfill a promise. But what that promise meant, that he came to do what we were unable to do, to live a perfect life and die the death we deserve. 
and as the perfect sinless substitute for, for us, he did through his sacrificial death, he did what we could not do, make a way to be brought back to God, to have eternal life through repentance and faith. Abraham believed God. He believed God's promise and was counted to him as righteousness. And you and I now are called to believe God as well. We are to believe God's promises to us. We are to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. We are to believe that he is the promised son come to seek and to save the lost. We are to believe that he is the the way, the truth, and the life through whom no one can come to the Father but by him. The question this morning is, do you believe that? Do you believe that? You see, as we move into the season of Advent and anticipate again the celebration of the birth of Christ, we do so with the knowledge that this promised one, the, the, the deliverer, the savior of the world, the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself has come. The promise has been fulfilled. The promise keeper of Genesis chapter three, verse 15, kept his promise. The light has dawned Hope has arrived. The Prince of Peace is here. Joy to the world. So as we see the birth of Isaac being fulfilled, we can't help but recognize the fulfillment of God in the person of Jesus. The God who promised Isaac fulfilled his promise. The God who promised Jesus fulfilled his promise. And the God who promised that whosoever calls upon his name will fulfill that promise So the invitation today is to come to him, to come to him, to, to, to believe him, to believe his promise, to believe that he's good, to believe that if I come to him, if I come to him in repentance and faith, he will not cast me out. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Today is the day of salvation. Come to Jesus. And if you have come to Jesus this morning, if you do believe that he is the Son of God, if you have trusted him by faith that he is your Savior, then give thanks to God today. Live with joy in knowing of this promise-keeping God. Live with faith knowing that that Christ has come, that God has kept his word, and that God will keep his word. Our hope is is in Christ alone. God has fulfilled his promises in the past, both in Abraham's life, in the life of Jesus, and he fulfills his promises to you as well. Take heart. God is a promise keeper. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus is in fact our only hope in life and in death. Thank you for the promises that you have made to us, the promises that you have kept and are keeping and will keep. Thank you for such confidence in a world where there seems as though everything is shifting. We can't trust anything that we see anymore. We struggle to trust one another at times. Thank you that you are steadfast, you are faithful, never changing. that what you say you do, that your word stands, is the foundation for which 
we build our lives on. We thank you for it. We thank you for your promises. Most of all, your promise of Jesus, the promise of salvation, the promise of hope, both now and forever, all through your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Oh God, you are-